Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bareback Stories. I'm really, really honored today to have a very special guest in studio with me. I cannot thank you enough for finding the time in your very, very busy schedule. Thank you, Sia, darling. Sia's leaving us today. Um, Emma Mohsin Hendricks, welcome to Bareback Stories. Thanks for thank having you me. Thank you again for it's being here. Yes, thanks. Um, for anyone who's been living under a rock in in South Africa or the Western Cape or Cape Town for that matter, who is Emma Mohsin Hendricks? So... I've read articles about you. Of course, I have, um, I've known about your story for some time, and we've been um, scrambling to try and find an opening to uh, put this interview in place since we first met. And um, you are very lovingly referred to as the gay imam. Mm. <laughs> you happy with that, Monica? Not quite, because um, uh, I, in the beginning of my activism, I it was okay to be called the gay imam because it was politically, you know, the right thing to do. Um, but I prefer the queer imam. You prefer the queer? Yeah, because okay. because in our organization, we sort of use the, um, the queer uh, term as an umbrella term for um, LGBTI. And the reason why I don't prefer the, the gay label is because when I do my work in, in the Eastern Bloc, uh, often people don't identify with these Western constructs of, of gender and sexual orientation. Um, but they seem to be okay with queer because queer is a sort of an umbrella term for anything that's not heterosexual. So, you know, I've never heard that before. Yeah. So queer is, is, is sort of... I almost wonder if I, if I know people <clears throat> when I think of the words mm. and the emotions that they conjure up, gay, as opposed to queer, right. I almost... Because queer... Can yes, have another. Yes, yes, it's almost like saying you weird. Yes, like there's well, I'm, something I'm okay wrong. With, whereas I'm, gay, gay can be I'm happy. Okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with weird because if we look at uh, our leaders in our history, often they went down as weird people. But it takes a weird person to change a world. It does take mm-hmm. a weird person. <laughs> And one of my, I, if it ever comes up in any shows, and also with my other show, um, Exposed with um, myself and Bertie Erasmus, uh, when people talk about normal, like I can't stand that. Like don't Absolutely. say normal. I hate yeah. that word. Yeah, it's, it's what is usual. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Like so getting, thank you. So getting to the labels, L, LG, a lot of people don't know this, and I mm. actually was a bit, um, I had forgotten what this stood for and wasn't sure. And a lot of people don't know, and you're going to explain LGBTIQ. Right. The so I stands for for intersex. A lot of people don't say that, and a lot yeah. of people don't use that. Yes. That letter and slips out. And it's always out. been a marginalised community amongst the LGBTI community as well. I must add that. Why is yes. that? Because it's about approximately two, or even less than two percent of the world is is intersex identified. And um, intersex people have uh, very uh, distinct uh, challenges, uh, especially when they, uh, in many parts of the world, uh, until very recently, uh, intersex people's uh, gender identity was defined by their parents or by their doctors. And only very recently in developing countries, um, intersex people have now the right to choose which part of their bodies they want to keep or, or, or remove uh, when they at an age to make that decision for themselves. Or choose both. Absol- and when you talk absolutely. about intersex for people who are listening and people who are going to wonder, it's hermaphrodites? Often, often people, well, hermaphrodite is no longer used for okay. intersex, but it's often people who um, are born with ambiguous genitalia. Yeah, Ambiguous and, and both. Ambiguous and then they decide to keep both. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it's... The, the ambiguity can can um, relate to their sexuality, whereas there can be no ambiguity with the actual sexual organs. They can be very prevalent, very present, and very um, obvious. Absolutely, yeah. So intersex has very much to do with biological sex and not necessarily uh, sexual orientation or gender identity, which is also socially constructed. It's, you know, it's so confusing today, isn't it? It is. There's so many and, so- social and constraints. Like the, we prefer the term queer because, like, you know. I've never heard that. I mean, I must yeah. be honest, I'm quite gobsmacked that you right. prefer queer as opposed to gay. And it's quite a catchy, or homosexual. It's quite a catchy thing in the 21st century because we speak about queer theology, queer liberation, the queer movement. So it's quite uh, commonly used. It's 
sort of a term that has been readopted by the LGBTI community. That's amazing. Yeah. So now let's go backwards and kind of start at the very beginning. Okay. Um, so you are an imam, okay, which as far as I understand is a worship leader of a mosque and, a, um, uh, and the Muslim community. You serve as a community leader and you provide religious guidance. Right. Okay. So what is the difference between, between being spiritual and being religious? And the reason I bring this up straight away is because we're going to go back. You were raised by a mom who, is a, who was a teacher, and I know your mom passed in 20, uh, 2009, and a father. Now, I read, your father was a spiritual healer. Your grandfather was an imam. Right. I'd like to know what the difference is, and there, there too, what is the difference between mm. being spiritual and being religious? religious? Right. Take it. So my grandfather was an imam, so which means that he had some formal studies done, and then he was elected to serve uh, in a mosque uh, to lead a community. So basically, an imam means a person who leads. But a spiritual but leader... But in the Muslim faith, though. In the Muslim faith, right. yeah. And a spiritual leader is... Um, it's a person who does rukya, and rukya is a sort of a an, a healing science within uh, Sufi Islam. And my father was very Sufi oriented, and he also did a, a study on this. And he, so often people in our community who felt that they were jinxed somehow would come to my father for spiritual healing, and so that's the difference. My father didn't operate from a mosque, but my grandfather did. But what's very interesting is that whole religiosity under which I, I grew up in that orthodoxy was very difficult to to carve a space for my identity as a queer Muslim within that uh, orthodoxy. So I'm sure. I mean, it's it's it was, it, it, it was quite a challenge. It's never been. It's not yeah. a. It, you know, it's not allowed. And the whole yeah. the whole thing is, you know, your, your I know your grandfather was very strict. Yes. And he was very much a part of your of your of your upbringing. Was he more of a father figure, or more <coughs> dominant than your dad? He was more the patriarch of the family, yeah. right? So, all final decisions get deferred to my grandfather. Yeah. Did your father ever have um, um, questions, as opposed to being, uh, as opposed to understanding um, the indoctrined uh, religious? Um, way of the teachings of um, the Muslim faith because he was a spiritual, a spiritualist. Right. It's almost like you know, in the Jewish faith, um, the you know the different um, sects you want to call it, the Orthodox and mm. the Progressive, etc. And there's a study of mysticism, which I know you know about Kabbalah, mm. which right, was right. not allowed, and still to this day, a lot of people look down upon that mystical way. Mm. So, do you think your your father um, is that is that what the Sufi um, element of the Muslim faith is about, that very, mystical um, very basis. Similar, yeah, sort of more focused on God consciousness and the, and the personal relationship with God and how the, the individual is free to find that, um, that spiritual path for themselves, obviously using the values that are taught to us uh, you know, in the Quran. Is that, is that welcomed in the Muslim faith? <clears throat> is that encouraged? Because a lot of people don't know that. They see yeah. a Muslim being Muslim and the Muslim faith as very indoctrinated, very right. strict, very, very um, severe, yeah. like the extreme Orthodox um, Jew Jewish um, um, side of the faith and, right. and you know, Roman Catholic, etc. Yeah. No one ever thinks of the spiritual essence of, of, uh, of, an, of, a, of religion. Absolutely. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Rumi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone right. who doesn't know the famous, so famous Rumi, poet and Rumi, spiritualist Rumi. I mean, he's right. he's left this world with the most incredible um, teachings. Absolutely. And he was he was uh, following the mystical uh, side of Islam. And uh, within uh, Sufi Islam, there are many different sects also, like the Naqshbandis and the Chishtis and the Qadiris and so on. And uh, so it's a very well-known part of Islam. And a lot of people choose that part. And and I I follow that path as well because of my father, and within Sufi Islam, there's sort of more an a, a, a subtle acceptance of sexual orientation and gender identity, because of the belief that the soul doesn't have a gender, and so we are we are given these identities on in this dimension, but really there are no discrimination between souls because souls are perfect and we are souls are, having a human existence perfect, not humans having a soul existence absolutely. and that's the big debate yeah. <clears throat> so did your grandfather have a 
um, have an issue with your father in any way? With were there any clashes in the sense that your father was probably uh, was he more open, more more of a searcher than so strict in in the devoutness well, of I think the religion? My, my grandfather was was pretty much Sufi oriented as well because of our Indonesian heritage. Uh, so there was there were no clashes, and my father had huge respect for my for my grandfather, not just because it's his father-in-law, mm. <laughs> but also because uh, he he knew quite a bit, and he was yeah he was he was strict for uh, for good reasons, according to my father. Well, so, now mm. let me ask you something. So, when I read you had a very strict upbringing, mm. I mean, I read something about. If you misbehaved or one would misbehave or carried on in a way that was not seen as, as proper, you would be taken into the streets and caned in public. Yeah. Now, that brings to question an issue about, and a lot of people have with mm. organized religions right. and the strict following and the man-made rules. Mm. And that's a very harsh punishment. It, it, it um, indoctrinates shame yeah. and humiliation. Absolutely. Now, why would faith... How can faith, you know, yeah. tolerate right. that type of shame and, and humiliation? So I think that brings us to the question of the difference between religion and spirituality. And I often in my workshop, I make that clear distinction that religion is sort of man-made. Uh, because we have a set of rules that we have to follow, even though that it's extrapolated from, from scriptures. But man formulates that. Um, it's punitive. Uh, it instills guilt. If you don't pray your five times a day, you're gonna, you know, you have to pray it in on the brink of of, of hell, for example. And so you, it instills a lot of guilt. And the punitive uh, part of it is that whenever somebody steps out of line, you know, with from outside of that framework, there's some form of retribution, some form of punishment. Um, and when it comes down to homosexuality, the punishment is death. The scholars only disagree in the style of execution. And so that's how harsh it can get. But when we look at spirituality on the other side, we, we, st we focus more on the values of, of Islam, the values of compassion, the values of justice, the values of peace, and how these translate into one's life. So if you look at... If you look at the five daily prayers, for example, um, we are so fixated on this ritual, not, not that it's not important. I, I firmly believe that rituals are good things that we can, you know, can help us to stay on this path of God consciousness and compassion and so on. But that we must not focus so much on the ritual, but what the ritual produces. And so often people pray five times a day, but there's no There's compassion. no consciousness behind it. There's no consciousness. Yeah. Because if your compassion has been raised enough, you would not kill, you know, you would not, you would question that kind of retribution that we live with in religion. So let's, but then, okay, so now the question, your, your grandfather was, your, your family was very devout and their, their you know, their rituals and, and, and prayers and ways to behave and a consciousness that you raised in. Was there never a time growing up where you felt completely like pissed off and confused and like, no, I feel this is completely man-made, indoctrinated. It doesn't sit well with me. Uh, and like you want, did you, did you rebel? Since I was five. Since you were five. <laughs> what age do you, what age were you when you really started to feel weird? We're going to take that word on today because, yeah. you know, and queer, where you felt you were different sexually, right. where you were aware. Well, I, 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 I grew up with my sisters, not, not my brothers. My brothers were always out with my, my father on the bowling trade and so on. But um, so I always identified with the things that they do. And I was very really feminine as a child also. And so at that very really young age of five, you already uh, feel the stigma from society that, you know, you're different and you're doing something wrong and it's, it's, it's not good practice. You're too in touch with your feminine side. Absolutely. And so you, and, and only when I got to the age of about 12, when, you know, your, your sexuality is now sort of more pronounced, uh, and you realize that you're also attracted to the opposite, uh, to the same sex, that things really start to become confusing. And then you go to the mosque and you hear your grandfather says, you know, gay people are going to go to hell. And then you're like, oh, but I'm one of them. 
So how do I deal with this? Uh, because at the same time, your grandfather will speak very compassionately about God and Islam and so on. And then there's this harshness. And I always struggled with understanding the two. That is actually what led me to, to go in and study Islam in Pakistan. Um, my, my family thought that I'm going to study because I want to be, be an imam. But it was actually to just understand why does this merciful and compassionate God uh, reject homosexuals? Well, that's what I mean. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. With so many religions, mm -hmm. why uh -huh. is someone's sexuality, gender preference, <clears throat> so evil if we are supposed to be embracing a, con a God consciousness, right. a spiritual God consciousness, which has got nothing to do with religion. Absolutely. Why? Why so, is this such a big problem in every religion? Yeah, I think because religion comes with a lot of power. And when you're able to have that power in your hands, you can control people. And historically, most of the major uh, religions, including the Abrahamic religions, is founded on patriarchal principles, you know. And so it's his story. It's not her story. Um, rules are made by men for women and queer people. And so when we look at homosexuality in my work specifically, I find that most often the people that have that are vehemently opposed to homosexuality are males. And I, and I needed to inquire about this. And I found that it's because males, uh, their own masculinity is being challenged when you have to even think that another man can have anal sex with another man. Sure. And so it really comes down to the sexual part of it and challenging the, the, the identity of maleness, you know. Well, it's because it's been indoctrinated <clears throat> for, for centuries that it's Absolutely. wrong. Anal sex is yes. wrong. Women uh, are, are, even are, whether it's, it's in, a, in, a, in, a, in a coupling where there's partnership of a right. male and a female. Right. Anal sex is still looked at as taboo and like, Absolutely. you know, and that's what it's all about. Close to bestiality almost. <laughs> You're probably going to get back to the whole patri patriarchy and femin mm -hmm. feminine, um, the feminine side of things. But so you, you were growing up um, wondering about the support structures, not feeling that there were support structures. Did you have anyone right. to talk to? Were you, where did you grow up, first of all? In, not in, at all. in the Cape? In, in Kenwin, yeah. In those days it used to be called Samboklan. Okay. Yeah, very close to the Muslim community. Not really. I, I, I had the protection of a lot of people around me, including my mother. You know, I used to hang on to her skirt when I was a child. But, uh, and no one called you a Morphe <coughs> when you were oh, growing yes, up. Oh, yes, of course, of course. You, you know, he's such a mummy's boy. Every day, yeah. yeah, teasing and all of that, yes. Uh, and uh, I always say that today the youth have it very easy. There's, 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 there are so many pr uh, support structures around. When we grew up and had to come out, there wasn't that. No, my God, yeah. it was... It you was, couldn't even speak about it. No. Not even to your own family. That's one of the big pros of mm. technology and social media today. Absolutely. There's always a pro and a con. You know, the <clears> light <throat> and the dark, the balance of everything. So mm. when you went to study, so did you grow up, did you... So you weren't actually sure or, or necessarily um, convinced you wanted to be an imam. It was just a way of, um, I'm interested, I'm seeking, I'm curious, I want to find out more and I'm going to go and study it and then decide. Did you ever have an idea that you wanted to follow a different career path in your life? Well, I was a designer for quite a... A fashion big, designer. A fashion designer okay. for quite a big part of my life and I, I suppose that comes with the territory. <laughs> now, now, yeah. now, now, that's not fair. Prince George is studying and ballet and I think that that is absolute nonsense. You know the big <laughs> uproar now about, oh, ballets are for, for right. homosexual uh, men. That's rubbish. Yeah. I mean, hello, Barishnikov, Nureyev, hello. Okay. It's well, a very, I think, very um I think we just naturally strong have the flair to... <laughs> To sew and to, you know, to create. Uh, and I do have that creative side to me. And I I always, and I mean, I've even been discouraged from, from pursuing that uh, as a career. Who, from um, the family? Yeah, from the family. Because females used to sew, you know, not males. That's the same with like, look at cooking. <clears throat> Some of the greatest chefs in the world today are male. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, it's, it's you know, it's really, it's been embraced, yeah. you know. It's, uh, I um, do cook globally. as well. I'm yeah. sure you do. <laughs> so, but you, so here you are, you went to Pakistan. Why Pakistan to study? Well, I won a scholarship to, to study there. And at that time, it was the cheapest place to study, uh, you know, Islam. And uh, 
Well, when I was in my first year, um, I was already challenged by the kind of teachings and I had no idea that the kind of school that I was enrolled into was actually a Salafi school. And Salafi Islam is sort of one of the more orthodox versions of Islam. <clears throat> so I was not only challenged by having to uh, make sense out of my sexuality in Islam, but also make sense out of this sect that I've now landed up in. Um, so it was very, it was a very difficult uh, period for me because at some point I was also thinking of just dropping it and, and going back home. And it was in within that confusion that I actually made a decision to get married to a woman. Was it fear-based? Um, it was fear-based. It was also based on expectations from my family. Uh, it was also fear that, uh, you know, if I never try this, maybe I I will never never change or maybe that would be an opportunity to become straight. I was just going to say, do you think it was going to be the magic wand? Absolutely. If, if I put my penis inside a vagina and going Absolutely. to that, it's going I'm to like, check, oh, I'm wow, going to be like, I've oh, I found Pandora's <laughs> box. This is good. This feels right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? And it never worked like that because no. eventually I, it was just too much effort to get to that point of having a sexual relationship with my wife but you bore she bore and you three children well I was lucky I mean that's you know, incredible yeah. first, did you want kids first though? Shot, I hit the spot. hey you see just because you're queer doesn't yeah. mean your swimmers are not very strong or too Absolutely. too lazy in the masculine in the feminine too. thing that they're not out the gate first <laughs> but I mean so did you know you wanted children though I always love children. I have three biological children and I have two adopted. And often people say, why do you have to adopt children? So how you did know? you come to that then? I just love kids. Did you, was this after people. you came out and you have a, with your partner you, you adopted? Yes, yes. Okay. And, and also there was one boy who uh, he was sent from a school um, for counseling. Um, he was 16 years old. And when I heard his story, he was, he was on the streets. His parents were not really caring for, for him. And I was like, this boy doesn't need counseling. He needs a home. And I said to him, look, I'm going to take you in. And I saw him through um, uh, uh, matric. And he went on to, on to university. And now he's got a job. And he's now 24 years old. And so he's, he's quite settled and on his own. <clears throat> but I was happy that I could be there for him as a father figure in the, in the absence of his body. I'm sure. I mean, and it, it goes to, to show all the, the, the activism and all the community work you get which that you do, which we will get to. But going back to the marriage, so you you came back home to get married. You met your your yeah, wife. Yeah. So here. I called my mother and I said, "Mom, I think I'm 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 ready to get married." And she was elated. I'm sure because at the back of her mind, she was like, "Oh, my son is not really gay." <laughs> Had you come out? I I didn't, but obviously I was very feminist. Okay. And my mother knew about my my relationships that I had. So you were having guys. um gay uh, homosexual <clears throat> relationships. Well, not homosexual relationships, but I had friendships with only females, you know, and they were not uh, love relationships. They were like my these like were very my, platonic. My tomies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are they? And, the uh, gay? The, the, what? What are we? They the, the, call them <clears throat> the, you, you the the gay? Not the hag? The gay? The, the fag, fag hag? The fag hag? Right? <laughs> the fag? Everyone yes. needs a fag hag or the hag fag. I don't know. And when I when I was in love, uh, she knew that it wasn't it wasn't with a with a female. Did yeah. you? <clears throat> the first time you fell in love with a man, how old mm -hmm. were you? I was in Standard 5, which is grade 7. Wow, you fell in love yeah, with the I boy in at Standard 5. boy and he was just everything, you know. Did I he know? <laughs> I think he, he figured it out eventually, yeah. But then we went off to high school, so he went to a different high so school. So nothing ever happened? Nothing ever happened. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And your first sexual <clears throat> um, experience at school or later? Um, I often don't speak about my sexual experiences, oh. but... Um, but I was 21, yes, okay. and it was uh, my my first serious relationship I had with a boy in Pakistan while I was studying. <laughs> and how was that for you? And that didn't and cement for you enough that, oh my gosh, I am I am gay, I am homosexual, I am queer, I prefer the penis, I'm not, there I was, can't do it the other even way. Even though I did, it, there was still this overwhelming guilt, you mm. know, and, and so you, the feeling is right, the emotions is there, this all feels so good. But then it's over and then you go back home and then you're like, oh, my God, I feel so guilty about this, you know. And that's the religious, yeah. the religious side. Absolutely. And so you came back home and then you <clears throat> got And home. then, uh, so, so was before, it arranged? I left, before I left for Pakistan, um, I had this, there was this girl who was sort of madly in love with me and I always deferred it. And I said, you know, I'm going to go for studies for six years and 
this is never going to happen and don't wait for me and all of this. And so within this confusion, I then decided to call her up because she's she's been writing letters ever since. And then she was she was like very happy to, you know, to just do this. And then I when I went home and before the wedding, I said to her, look, I don't think I'll be able to do this unless you know a part of my life that is very I and and that time the kind of the, the way I communicated to her is I said I'm struggling with this. I didn't say this was my identity because You're I was struggling with your sexuality. I was struggling with with my sexuality and she understood that this was something that can be changed. And she said, "Look, I love you so much. I w- I will help you to change this." And we really she really did. She really supported me until at some point where she realized that she was also not getting what she was hoping a man could give her i wasn't that's i wasn't pure intimacy. i couldn't be emotional and that's got involved. nothing to do with sex Absolutely. the intimacy Absolutely. it's it's so it's so separate from the so sex so i yeah. became one of her best friends she's ever had but the husband she couldn't have wow. so it was it was 6 years of really trying and then three kids later we decided that we're just doing harm to one another and by then i have done my research i have done my my processes with you know with god and my wrestling with god and then i just decided at the age of 29 i'm i'm coming out and how did you come out who was the first official come out <coughs> person it was parade my, that you yeah <laughs> it you was had. my female my best female friend at school okay. yeah god bless her soul Uh, she was really supportive and then um it was my my cousin siblings um, any siblings uh i couldn't speak to my siblings at that oh. point yeah um, still not but at 29 was, what was funny was my, my one of my sisters when i came out to her and i was like oh my god i don't know what she's going to say and what she's going to think and she probably wouldn't want to have a relationship with me after this and i i related the whole story to her and eventually she says um oh i knew all along i was just waiting for you to tell me <laughs> i was like is that it and you made me go through all this pain all this time <laughs> so so but then eventually when my mother made peace with it um she never allowed my siblings to to separate from one another and uh, they were sort of forced to just accept it And what about your grandfather? Did he live to well, he, see you come he out? Passed, he passed on when I was 12 years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. And my father passed on when I was 21. So he never had so, any idea. No. But my mother was there when I, when she I was. came out. Yeah. And and <coughs> very tough on her as well. I'm sure. Yeah. Because I always say that when we come out, the, our loved ones come out too. No, well, they have to, mm. you know, if you're going to keep that bond alive in some yeah. way shape or form you're going to both walk that path of pain and rejection Absolutely. and humiliation yeah. and loss together yeah because she was a public figure as well and she had to deal with the stigma of having a son that gay how many sons um are you well we were nine siblings at one stage wow yeah and uh, did anyone reject you in the family my eldest brother was actually my half brother uh he's he's very orthodox um all my other siblings was at my wedding but he didn't come okay mm. and so with your with your wife and and you know when you finally decided to mm. divorce and but you because when i met you and you were so gracious to welcome me into your home mm. a little while ago when we first met you all lived together yes i mean that's and that's amazing because that's yeah. like a whole like oh like people are thinking oh like polyamory or polygamy yeah. or thing but with a with with you yes. know with with no with with no gender bias <laughs> no sexual bias yeah. um how, how how did that come about how did you i mean first of all how old were your children when you split when you divorced um well my my eldest daughter she was five, the other one was four, and my son was about two years old yeah and uh, so it was a bit early for them to sure. understand what what was really happening and but when at the point where they started to ask questions about it I, i i made up my mind that i was not going to take the challenge away from them and i was going to slowly explain to them why their father is different from other fathers but you never left the house um no i left i left the house oh so you did divorce yeah. like like the the real yeah, divorce like yes, split i mean she lived separately oh, she, she, me, she remarried after that yes, okay and uh, and i moved subsequently to johannesburg to 
to open up a designer shop over there. So you're still a designer at this point. You yes. weren't an imam, nothing. No, I wasn't. So, okay. I had the qualifications though, and I did teach at a few mosques, um, but I didn't take up the role as an imam yet. I only accepted the role as an imam in 2011 when um, when people were starting to feel unsafe to go to mainstream mosques, and they said that th they would they would rather not go to mosque anymore because one boy was sitting in the front row and on one Friday and the sermon was all about homosexuality. And he said that he felt that the earth could have just opened up in, underneath him. And he vowed that he will never go back to a mosque again after that. And then I said, well, this is time that we start an inclusive mosque. And we started that mosque with just a few queer Muslims and eventually it grew to more than 65 at some point. Um, and then I realized that that this is my role as an imam to serve a people that I identify with. Because going back to <coughs> 1998, mm -hmm. okay, you went to the papers. There were articles. You started, uh, which is when you came out. You know, you came out. It was being talked about. This right. is quite a long time ago. I mean, yes. I, I, like taboo, taboo mm. before <laughs> social media and technology is, you know, what as we yeah. know it today. Mm. And you started a hotline mm -hmm. and you got a lot of phone calls and a lot of support. About 80% you said more support yes. than, than people um, wanting yeah. to brandish you and kill you. Um, and a couple of imams themselves who were... Yes. Um, yeah. Very positive, who mm -hmm. were clear, but and very positive in what right. you were doing, but obviously couldn't uh, couldn't make that yeah. public. Um, what what yeah. took you to the papers? Though you were a designer, you weren't an imam, you weren't a, a, a figure, a, a public figure. Mm -hmm. um, why go to the papers back in nineteen ninety eight? Authenticity, the need to be authentic with myself, um, being tired of living a double life, and. I knew that Islam was an important identity that I would never be able to leave, but so was my sexuality. And I couldn't continue um, being perplexed, you know, in that way and, and, and having to live a double life. And then at that point when I came out, I said that I would rather want to meet my creator saying that this is the decision I made based on my authenticity than having to explain why I lived a double life. So I came out and I knew at that point that it was, I could be killed. Of course. But the need to be authentic was more, um, it was more important than the fear. That was more life-threatening yeah. than the fear. And yes. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. So to embody the qualities of Allah, which are compassion, peace and justice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now, correct me if I'm wrong. Allah means submission, but Allah is... Lord of the world, okay, mm -hmm. according to the Quran, okay? Now, isn't that interesting? Because to be Lord of the worlds, of all our worlds, mm. it doesn't state of the physical world or the material world or yeah. the religious world or the spiritual world or of this planet. Right, It's of all the dimensions. Of the dimensions. Mm -hmm. So why is there such a polarization and a divisiveness and, mm. and an evil incarnate not only in the Muslim faith, but in so many. Because now let's get to how the world really started to change in this lifetime. Not that mm -hmm. we know, not with our parents went through world wars and everything, yeah. but with, you know, 9-11. I actually happened to be living in New York at the time. And I went through mm. that, as many did, in a, on a very personal level. And people today still, you know, 9-11, 2001, it's almost 20 years ago, still think Muslims are terrorists, mm -hmm. they're evil. They want seven wives and when they go to heaven and women are to be barely seen, never mind not heard, mm -hmm. and um, they are to be feared. Seven, the Muslim, they're wives, that's actually. right. Oh, <laughs> se seven wives. Sorry, seven, seventeen. Seventeen. Oh, <laughs> 17. I beg your pardon. Seventeen. Seven yes, zero. I even forgot. I can't even. I can't even relate. Who the hell would want seventy fucking wives? Never mind. <laughs> some people are like, never mind one, and I'd like to say, yeah, well, some women feel the same way about husbands. But anyway, um, seventy. Seventy. I couldn't wives. even deal with one. <laughs> you couldn't even deal that with would one be yourself. For me. <laughs> so it's like. Yeah, it's it's savagery. They 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 mm. they they want everybody dead. If you don't believe in, if the Muslim faith is not ruling the world, there we go, power. Yeah, you need you must die. Absolutely. I mean, how do you reconcile <clears throat> that um, that very very 
dangerous belief yeah. system with the ignorant in the world today. Well, you don't reconcile it. You have to leave it behind. You have to leave the path of, of faith, the path of religion that is, um, that is being uh, orchestrated by men and by, by patriarchy. You have to leave that behind. And therefore, these days, I often say that I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I have found my own journey with God. And I follow very strictly to the Quranic principles and the values that's within the Quran. And nobody can mess with that relationship. Um, I often say that if we look at the Quran, there's 114 chapters in the Quran. And 113 of those chapters starts with, in the name of God, the indiscriminately compassionate, the infinitely merciful. And that is the lens through which we have to read the Quran. That is the lens through which we have to live as Muslims. Even the Quran says, um, we have sent down this book, in it is a mercy and a healing for believers. So how do we use the book for mercy and healing for our, to heal our communities instead of using it as a book for bashing? And often we say the Quran says, the Quran says, but who's really saying it's the person who reads the Quran and wants to interpret the Quran to suit I was just going to say, because that is what the power-hungry, <clears throat> greedy, Absolutely. insecure, and the ego at the end of the day is interpreting so many texts from different religious studies right. or ways to um, integrate faith as we know Absolutely. it or religion as we know it, <clears throat> their way. Because I always say, I mean... I was not born at the time of Jesus. I mm. was not born at the time of Muhammad or Buddha right. or any of them. I don't really know if the texts we have, I'm not 100% sold that the texts are actually a complete literate, um, um, perfectly transcribed right. uh, definition of the truth that they were handing down but centuries you can ago. Be, you can be sure about the values because who doesn't want peace? Who doesn't want compassion? Who doesn't want justice? And those are values that all these prophets... But so many ultra-religious and indoctrinated <clears throat> orthodox re um, religious zealots and, and extremists mm. out there don't want compassion and peace and tolerance. They want the control that religion comes with, the power that religion comes with. If you control people's mind, control You can control the world. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we see it yeah. in politics as well. And, and control how it's them so through religion because we are so vulnerable. We all want, you know, some, something to hold on to that's, that's divine. And it comes mm. through religion. You know, a friend of mine asked me the other night, um, he said, because uh, he knows I'm, I don't follow an, a strict uh, religious path. And um, he said, but do you believe in God? Do you have faith? And I, and I always say, I have a deep, deep sense of faith. Mm. I, I, not that I pity. I feel sorry. Mm. I feel an empathy and um, a sympathy mm -hmm. for anyone who is struggling to integrate faith into a deep sense of faith. Right. For those who are agnostic, those who are atheists, etc. I don't, I don't, I don't look <clears throat> down on them or think they're wrong on any level. Mm -hmm. It's their journey. It's their struggle. It's their questioning. It's their seeking. It doesn't even have to be a struggle. Right. It, it, you know, I just know that for me, you know, yes, I have a deep sense of faith. It has nothing to do with any type of organized Absolutely. religion, no matter. And it's not an insult to how I was raised, mm -hmm. you know, because um, I was raised one way, but actually in a in a dual religious, right. well, uh, um, religion. We weren't religious, but both my parents mm -hmm. have different faith. <clears throat> but um, so getting back to starting this mosque, were you in Johannesburg at the time? Or no, I was here? in Cape Town. I was back in Cape Town, yeah. And it, 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 you must have... There must be something, I mean, you know, it's your path. Mm -hmm. You, This was what you were ordained to do, to become, because you were a designer, you were divorced, you were living your life, mm -hmm. getting on with things, going to mosque, following the way, but you felt compelled and, and a sense of calling to yes. really become an imam and, and start this mosque. Yeah. Which could have been burned down in the first week. With me. Yes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> At a, yeah. On a stake. Right. You know, as an but example. I think, what, I think what drives you at the end of the day is when you see that what you're doing is bringing hope and restoring faith within people. I think that's the best, the best way that we can live our lives is through serving others. And that was my way of, of giving back to the world. Being able to help people who don't have the skills, who don't have the knowledge of Islam that I had have at that time, um, and helping them with that, you know, and and you know sometimes you you meet with somebody that you haven't seen for ten years, and he and he would say, 
uh, you know, but wasn't it for you, I would have never been able. And then you go like, yo, and I was going to give this up because it's so much to deal with at some point. But when you hear those kind of stories, you know, you're doing the right thing. You're doing you're on the right path. Yeah. <laughs> so did you ever, was there ever a time getting back to your divorce and when you split and you went, you know, followed a different path? Were you very involved in your children's lives? Did your wife, I was, was there, I mean, was it naturally a lot of anger and, and, and pain? and, the, and More from know? her family side. Okay, yeah. not so much from her. Yeah. And, uh, but at the time when she remarried, um, then it was very difficult because the, the husband she married was also very orthodox. And he tried to keep the kids away from me because he was afraid that I might influence them and they'll all turn out gay and all mm. <laughs> that. And it's only when they became teenagers that they sought to have a relationship with me and then we picked up on these conversations. And to an extent that both my daughters went to study psychology and every time when they deal with gender and stuff, they come to me and they, Daddy, but you always used to tell us that. And now, the, you know, we learn about it at university. <laughs> So, and today I have a very beautiful relationship with all my children. Yes, it hasn't been easy because they often had to be very careful about the kind of friends that they that they make and keep uh, because they had to sort of figure out who are the people that are not homophobic that they can be friends with. So, yeah, because they, it was, they were also living the stigma of having a gay father. And who is an imam. Who is an imam, mm. which is just like such a big contradiction in yes. terms as far as, you know, normal yeah. society, Two inverted commas. You know, it's not <laughs> weird. We like the weirdness, mm. the weird societies. Um, <clears throat> but so what brought you all together as a family? You are, you have a partner today. Yes. You live in a home with your kids. Yes. Your ex-wife. So did she also, did she Not divorce? my ex-wife, my partner's wife. Oh, it's your partner's. <laughs> I've got, yeah, really, because we didn't really touch on that too much. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. happy family. Absolutely. And I think. I so think he also came out. He was married, then he came out. Oh, well, that's the reason why his wife is living with us because okay. he's not able to come out oh. in his culture. It will be a death sentence. And, and often people who come from the secular world doesn't understand that. No. And I can't impose on a man who has lived a particular life for 24 years because he was 24 when I met him. And then suddenly asking him to change his whole life because this queen has needs, you know, doesn't work like that. So we had to figure out a way where we could all be, be happy. And also um, people who don't, who, who is, who's caught up in this whole uh, uh, institution of marriage the way we understand it today. And that's struggle, the word, institution. Institution, yes. Struggle with with alternative forms of relationships that we see in, in the world today. And so if we're going to say, oh, you know, you, 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 you're married for life and this is a, a partnership that God has created and you cannot divorce, in this day and age it's very difficult to maintain those kind of relationships. And then the guilt sets in when, when there's, you know, uh, clandestine affairs. Yeah, when the shit hits the fan and people... But we created that ourselves. Of course. Well, the big you know? lack of communication. <clears throat> and, you know, I used to always say, I think a lot of us, a lot of everyone today, we should be in, and when I use the word counseling, not yeah. because there's anything wrong with us, but right. counseling before we marry. A yeah. lot of um, religions and different <clears throat> um, spiritual um, practices do offer that. And yes. many of us don't take, don't take it up because they hear the word, oh, God, counseling. It means there's something wrong with me. I need to go to therapy. Yeah. But it's <clears throat> hard to navigate that partnership going forward. Right. You know, do you want children? Because, you know, if, you, if people are marrying at different ages, there's career, yes. there's money. And for there's, different reasons. And for different reasons and pressure. different right. And different religions are coming together Absolutely. and different ideals mm. and different yeah. value systems. You fall in love. You fall in love. You right. fall in love with someone with a soul. Yeah. And for part, better or for worse. My partner is Hindu. Exactly. That's another taboo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and with it comes all the labels and all yes. the, the, the coverings and the shells that we, you know, um, um, are... are, are are given to yeah. to um, try and reinterpret as we journey in this world, mm. and you love someone, but it is difficult. And you know, as we we each have our own path and we each have our own journey, we we mm. we grow at different 
paces, different yeah. rates. And sometimes we grow apart because we don't know how to reintegrate <clears throat> what an experience is that we're going through. This, and you know, life happens. Permanent. Nothing is permanent. You know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it is. Yeah. And not to say that they don't work out. Right. But so it does help. And um, we are so, society is so fearful to... To talk about these things, yes. communication. Or to venture outside of the comfort zone. Yeah, and, and live outside um, the box, right. you know, that conformist box yes. for, for fear of abandonment, neglect, and stigma. rejection and stigma mm. from your, mm. your, you know, fellow Absolutely. societal um, mm. f- um, framework. Yeah. And even in today's, um, it's, so, it's so hard. It's yeah. so sad. So here you are. I mean, you make it work. It's It's... It's incredible that you're not, not, you know, you're being stoned every day. The relationship is not even based on sex. It's based on love. It's based on mutual understanding, you know. It's based on respect. That's what it is. Well, I mean, for his ex-wife to still to be in the home and the kids and everything, there has to be a level of of respect and everything that you that there is harmony there. Absolutely. And it's it's unique and it's special, and. Sex is overrated. Sex is overrated. <laughs> this queen says sex is overrated. There are other people going, ah. <laughs> There's much more to a relationship than just Well, sex, sex is not intimacy. We really, you know, no, this, I've got to ham, hammer can, that home. You can buy it also. <laughs> okay. You know, we hammer that home. And that's to do with the, the development of one's EQ. Absolutely. Which brings me, let's segue very nicely into the state of the world today and the state mm. of our world in South Africa. In the news, oh. what we have, I mean, this this mm. interview couldn't have been better placed because I know we've cancelled a few times. We've been trying to get to get mm. this together. Um, oh, heavy, yeah. heavy heart. We sit here today mm. with what is going on because I know you are an activist and I know that you work in the community. I, when we when we chatted, and I was I was saying at the top of the show as well, you know, explaining the nature of this platform, the I, mm-hmm. and no holds barred and bareback stories, hashtag no condom on the, <clears throat> uh, on the conversation. I do have a bit of a potty mouth and I make no bones about it. I'm very mm. proud. And you said to me, Lee, you think I don't swear. I work on the <laughs> Cape Flats. You've got to talk to people, reach people the on their level and in the language they understand if you want them to right. hear what you are saying. Absolutely. You Not just to, accept it. you need it. to be one of them. One of them. Mm. How did that start for you? The, the, you know, working within the communities and everything? Right. Was it because of the, the mosque you started? I, th- I, well, I think so. And I, I, I think back then in 1998 when I started, um, it started with a bunch of friends um, and often we would talk about our painful narratives. But people, it, it, those conversations always ended up hopelessly because people felt like, yeah, but things will never change. And we maybe we're asking too much of Islam to accept homosexuality and so on. And it's at that point when I felt, no, it can change. And we need to be the change we want to see in the world. And I think it started from that passion to, to you know, to, to see a different kind of uh, an expression of Islam that is more compassion-centered and more inclusive that I wanted to be a part of, Yeah. Are you making great strides, headway? I mean, you talk all over the world. Do you feel that 98, so we're, you know, 21 years later. Yeah. How much further has that, has that um There's uh, been a lot. Level we've, we've, inc- we've made enough noise to have changed mindsets um, on, 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 on small scales and on mm-hmm. big scales as well. I mean... If you look at uh, families, uh, you you find more um, Muslim families these days accepting their queer children when they come out. It really, yeah, yeah, because yeah, that's not know. you don't hear that very often. <clears throat> Absolutely, and um, I mean, we just posted a beautiful story on our on our Facebook page about the father in 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 London who has accepted his his gay son, um, and you hear more of those stories. Um, it wasn't like that ten years ago. Um, and then there are more imams that are speaking about us as a queer, uh, as a Muslim community, addressing our homophobia. I mean, three years ago, the Claremont Main Road Mosque, which is sort of dubbed as the liberal mosque of Cape Town, spoke about homophobia in an Eid sermon, which huh. is a big thing, you know. Um, and then internationally, you see more. In fact, what I've done is I put a collage of, of uh, videos, uh, uh, clips together, showing how for the last 20 years, imams internationally has actually shifted their thinking around sexual orientation and gender identity. 
and it's because of all the noise that we've been been making as as organizations. And boy, do we wish that uh, many other religious leaders around the world would yeah. actually take a leaf out of your book, out of your Quran. <laughs> I mean, today in society, if you know what I'm talking yeah. about, people would think, who wants to listen to what the Muslims have to say, right. considering you know the terrorism Absolutely. started with them. You know yeah. this whole this whole um, um, attitude with mm-hmm. with the different types yeah. of you know with, with the beliefs and the you know, suicide bombing and mm-hmm. et cetera. But getting back to South Africa and what's happening with feminism and the patriarchy and what we really should be teaching everyone in school and society, the positive masculinity. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> How do you feel about where we are in society today in this country? What the hell are we going to do? Yeah. Well, it's it's really sad. And, and, and I think a few days ago the organization came together and we said you know let's just let's just cry about this if we have to because it's so sad that for years i mean i'm i've been an activist now for 23 years and i know activists they give their life to to a cause and then you do hope that at some point you're going to see some change happening in the world and to see this sort of retrogression happening at the moment it's like where are we going you know, I can't believe we're still fighting about this right. and women are still, I mean... Absolutely, absolutely. And it feels like, I mean, we, I, I think that we are still dealing with a lot of unresolved anger from the past. And there has been this gap. Yes, we have a beautiful constitution, but there's been this gap between constitution and translating that at grassroots level. There hasn't been enough done by our government to ensure that people were moving with the constitution. And we're feeling the the impact of that now. Well, we keep Mm -hmm. voting for and putting people in power, and this is globally. Yes. Because patriarchy is not about the masculine. Patriarchy doesn't mean the male sex, and therefore it is bad, it is archaic, it is wrong, Mm -hmm. it is divisive. It is a sense of power, those that are in power, because it is a system and there are many women in power as well around the world. Um, We keep perpetuating a patriarchal preference for power to be um, yielded with a very archaic, divisive and evil mindset. How do we change that? Because, you know, we've been saying, a lot of us have been posting and and I'm going to do quite a few shows coming up now Mm -hmm. with a lot of men who want to talk and everything. It's not, I don't want to live in a world without men. I love men. There are many women. Feminism is not about hating men. And there are a lot of extremists in the feminist, yes, in a feminist, (laughs) in the feminist society who are, I think with anything in in the extreme today, we see it. Too leftist, too feminist, too mm. too right wing too too patriarchal yeah. too, you know too religious too you know you become zealots and anything in the extreme when there's no balance there's no communication and when you're not communicating mm. nothing can get solved Absolutely. that that idea of of respect and and um understanding that it's okay to differ right you know in fact our agree our, to disagree right in fact our program on uh, women's day 9th of august we the women uh, invited men and they gave them a sort of a, a badge that says men as listeners. And they said that we're not able to talk about women's issues um, with the excluding men. No. They have they to have, have to a to seat at the table. The they have to, especially Absolutely. the older generation yeah. who are very, very bound by, yeah. the, by the older um, patriarchal yeah. ideals. Yeah. They are the we cannot. It's yes. It starts with the youth. Yes, mm-hmm. it's important for us to to challenge and educate and instill these values in yeah. the youth today. But we cannot forget our generation and our parents' generation because they're still in power. Absolutely. And if we don't kind of shift that mindset, yeah. we aren't doing this together. We can't go into this uh, conversation without holding their hand. And I think hand. it's time that that men check their male privilege. And sometimes you know there's a there's a there's a blindfold. Over that men men cannot see their privilege because they're so used to it. It's normal for them, and so we need women to open that window for them and say, "This is this is how you make us feel when you do A, B, and C." And women do and that to men. Listen, <clears throat> we're going to uh, we'll be doing yeah. shows. There are many abusive females out there. Many. I have quite a few friends, inherited, unfortunately, inherited patriarchy. Yeah, mm-hmm. who are yeah, and mm-hmm. that is the inherited Absolutely. patriarchy. People think, but they're women. No. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a masculine and feminine Absolutely. side. Yeah. What do you identify most with? What are you using 
in an egoic sense, in a, right. in a negative way, mm -hmm. to perpetuate abuse. Absolutely. No yeah. abuse is gender is non gender. It's it's, it's mm -hmm. you know there's no gender attached to abuse. Abuse yeah. is abuse. End of story. Right. And a lot of people don't think that others see that, but it's totally yeah. totally <clears throat> true. You think men don't get raped? Of course. You know, and um, yeah, rape is not about gender. No, it's about a sick mind. It's very very sad. But you know, uh, you, I'm sure being on Facebook and social media, all these memes and and you know quotes and everything that have been going up. I uh, can't remember the exact wording of the one, but, you know, we, as a society, uh, as a country, South Africa um, uh, voted for a man who raped a woman, had a shower, and then became president. Mm. Hello. And we want change. Yeah. Why does that happen? Ignorance? Fear? Well, I was, I was in one of his, his speeches, and one of the youths asked him about value-driven leadership. And how does he impart value-driven leadership to our youth who's going to become tomorrow's leaders? He wasn't able to answer the question. And I think that's the problem, is that we're putting uh, leaders in place that that doesn't operate from values. They don't Because they don't have and their own set of values. They, they don't, don't know themselves. They don't you know, know the values. My bro I think yeah. I told this to you when we first met. My brother-in-law always says, the world should be run by women and gay men. <laughs> I support you on that one. <laughs> I think you might. We need, because we yeah. need that compassion and that love. And yet there are many the heterosexual men, let's not, let's just let me yes. say this, who have plenty of compassion of and, 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 and empathy. They are. Of they course. definitely are. Yeah. But of course, they're in the minority. Right. If we're looking at a global scale today, yeah. when we're looking at who are, when we're looking at societal governance, they you know, political allies. governance, you know, they can what? They can be our allies. Of course they can. <laughs> of course they can. So, what do you what mm. what changes do you think in your opinion should be put in place from a governmental level i think that we need to have programs in which we not just talk about violence i, I prefer to to go to a program where we talk about compassion and love and you know and not the violence i think there's a lack of that and i think we need to overcome our um historic pain um yeah. Well, that's we, it's talking, it's listening, but because there are there are not many platforms. Yeah, mindsets. people are afraid to afraid to speak, and that's one of the biggest reasons I created this platform mm -hmm. is to listen okay. to others yeah. without judging. That's why I'll listen to anything, right. say anything. You can. It doesn't shock me yeah. because there is so much fear integrated in society today, mm -hmm. men and women, because they are. Just afraid that if they speak their truth or live mm -hmm. their truth, they will be shunned and yes. harmed. Yeah. And it's so sad. And that's – look, And when we look at, at all the movements and everything and how we can mm -hmm. create a um, – and take a stand and create movements within a day, mm -hmm. social media in that respect is incredible. Yeah. But to end off, I want to, I want to just quote – when your mother passed away, she passed away in 2009, right? Yeah. On her deathbed, these were her words. I may never understand homosexuality, but I understand the kind of son I brought into the world. Mm -hmm. This is my responsibility towards you and one I will never retract myself from. Mm -hmm. And she left yeah. this earthly plane. Mm -hmm. What do those words mean to you? Everything. It's. It's sort of the concluding statement to the many challenges that were there between me and my mom. It was all worth it. When somebody can depart the world with those kind of words, it was all worth it. My mother, she was the matriarch, you know, and she ruled not with power but with values. Um, I'm, I, I remember how my mother used to... Uh, share food amongst nine siblings how she made sure that everybody had something new to wear on Eid morning with living in a, in a sub-economic uh, area and those are the values that I, that I take with me in this world you know um, and if someone says to you well who's the <coughs> matriarch in your children's family in your children's life how do you answer that Probably me. <laughs> because that matriarchal, patriarchal has nothing to do with what Absolutely. your genitalia look like. Right, right. 
And so that's why I'm a firm believer in coming back to an Islam that is uh, uh, practiced through its values, not necessarily through its rituals and the sects that promote different understandings of Islam. We need to return to an Islam that is compassion-centered. We need to return to Islam that is all-inclusive. We need to be able to say that the scripture that God has revealed is for me also to interpret, not interpreted through an elite group of people that thinks that only they have the right to interpret it. We need to extract the healing and the mercy from our scriptures. We need that. We need love. The we need compassion. I mean, yeah. did John Lennon not say it best? <laughs> and many, many before him. Uh, yeah. But so for the listeners, uh, how can they reach you? I know you have a Facebook page. How, where is the mosque? What is it called? Where can people reach you to reach out and right. to, to speak to you? So um, all that information is on our Facebook page. Um, our website is currently being redeveloped to make it more accessible to the community. Um, but they can just uh, go to Compassion Centered Islam um, on Facebook and you can get all the information there. <coughs> Imam Mohsin Hendricks, it has been my absolute pleasure and thrill to have you in studio with me today. I cannot thank you enough. I hope our roads and our paths cross again. I'm sure it will. And thank you so much for this kind of platform. Oh, um, this I, is how we spread the word. Absolutely. Right? And then we, right. if I can do my tiny little part, it is, right. with, um, it, it, it is with great pleasure. And thank you so much for inviting thank me. Thank you.